up, everybody? Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy on this beautiful Wednesday morning. We are covering today one of the most awesome films of the 1990s, a brilliant film called Ronin, written by David Mamet, directed by John Frankenheimer. We cannot wait to break this thing down for you. Stick around, guys, and we are going to break down Ronin. We'll see you in a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. This is the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related, and we are talking about Ronin! Ronin, Ronin, Ronin. Ronin, 1998's David Mamet's sort of brilliant uh, car chase thriller thing with uh, very little exposition and Robert De Niro being awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's so weird with this movie. Hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Guy. Uh, my roommate, you know, is not a huge movie fan, but I think that this is... Like world renowned car chase movie. He's like, ah, oh, bro, we're the best car chase of all time. <laughs> exactly. Driver cop, I'm gonna make an omelet. <laughs> that's what my roommate sounds like, in case any of you were wondering. But it's true, though. It's true. And that's one thing that I've noticed about living with him, since you and I are such movie nerds. When we when I'd mention a movie to him and he notice he knows anything about it, yeah. it usually means that thing is pretty stand like it stands on its own. It's yeah. very, very strong. Uh, leaves a big impact on the guy. And I love this movie, and I think that was a sweet Sweet car chase. Yeah, it's a good car chase. So, guys, uh, as we said, we do action movies on the show. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Andrew introduced himself, but where can the folks find you if they want to? Oh, you guys can find me uh, at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, of course, guys, we have a Twitter for the show. It's called at AMA Podcast. You guys interact with us more than you used to. It's a lot of fun. And we, we ask questions. Uh, the AMA question of the day, which we'll be debating later, uh, we always ask for a question the week beforehand for you guys to submit. And it's like a debate sort of thing inspired by the movie we're doing. Uh, we will be reading one off that was submitted by a fan today and talking about it later in the show. So go find at AMA Podcast. Of course, rate, review on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. It helps us do the show. Keep the lights on. We do free content. We would like to continue to do free content. And that's how we do it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, let's and I love the questions. Yeah, the questions they're, are They're great. always so good. Yeah, because it's, it's like conversations that we would get into, like we have gotten into a lot of those types of conversations. A lot of times. But it's hard to find a forum for them on the show sometimes. Uh-huh. Right? It's better, to, it's better to sort of have that trigger to go off of. Yeah, it's not just like, hey, I want to argue with you about something today that I've yeah, been thinking about. Exactly. You know? Um, so, guys, uh, the action movies that we do on this show tend to adhere to four basic rules. Those rules are rule number one. The hero always plays by their own rules. Rule number two is the hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. And rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Working backwards, we definitely have an explosion. This is, this is perfect. It's a yeah. sweet one. So we got, uh, this is driven by a police, military, political figure. It's, he's a mercenary. He's definitely a mercenary. And he's also, I think he's also like ex-federal government. He's ex-CIA. Yeah, right. He's like the definition of like an American Ronin. You yeah. Yeah. Hero and the villain, smartest people in the room. I guess you would have to say that Gregor is the villain, sort of. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Elliot he's Carver's kind of, kind of the villain too. Elliot Carver, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Price for those yes, wondering. Uh, I think so. I think because he's kind of playing everyone the whole time. Elliot Carver is. I mean, if you do want to call him the bad guy, he is actually the smartest guy in the room as well. I really feel like it's 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 Gregor. And De Niro are the smartest. Yeah. Pretty clearly, right? Yeah, I think so. So it's a little weird because you don't have a direct villain in this movie, but I think it's still close. And the hero always plays by their own rules. Yeah, I mean, he is he is definitely like... De Niro is the combination of like smartest guy in the room and playing by his own rules all the time. Absolutely. He that always has like, everything figured out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas 
you know, Clooney's the smartest guy in the room, but he'll beat you by playing by your rules, and he'll use his intelligence. Yeah. Whereas De Niro's like, I'm going to do this my way. And he, re- what is he, re- renegotiates his whole contract after the first job. Yeah. He's like, fuck this. Yeah, I want $100,000. Just die. Up front and at the end, and so does everyone else, and it's like, okay. Yeah. And she's like, she's, I'll make the call. Yeah, I'll make yeah. the call. I'll make the call. <laughs> I'll make the call, damn call. Yeah. She doesn't sound like that. She doesn't sound like that at all. <laughs> you sound like a man. She's not a man. <laughs> foreshadowing mm-hmm. um so what <laughs> she's not a man she is not that is not a, it's not a spoiler uh so guys uh, we are gonna get into the movie we're gonna start off today by showing the trailer uh the trailer for ronan 1998 i saw this film on the night my dad told me my parents were getting divorced yeah i always think that's such a story about interesting me. story <laughs> i heard somebody's feelings once something cool about oh, me good lie i heard somebody's feelings once i forgot about that one. yeah oh i know you i don't think so it's a small world. Not in my experience. Hired for a mission. This is what we're after. To recover a package. We need to take it intact from several men who will be intent on preventing us. Tags. My kind of job. That some are willing to die Balancer. for. Relax, darling. Just a game. Could you take a picture of me and my wife? It's kind of a sweet scene. Yeah, that. that was a good scene. Case. Other guys protecting the principal. Oh, they're good. And everyone is willing to kill for. I want $100,000. I want it up front. I want another 100000 when you get the case. All good things come to those who wait. Target is on the way. We've gotten the word. We're moving. Come on, let's go. You don't want to go in there. Get out of here. Walk away. Walk away. I, yeah, and, and what I also liked about that scene is, like, you knew what was going on. Car chase, you mean? Uh, no, the, the, him, like, surveilling the people at the villa. Oh, yeah. But I still didn't know why he'd put the sign leaning against the luggage rack. And I was like, what is this? And then it surprised me. And it surprised me, and I like that. And it's also, like, it's also, like, the sort of practical thing where you're, like, why is his voice sound so high? It does. following the wrong people. From director John Frankenheimer. That's the truck. The truck. Yeah, leaning on. Yeah. Stellan Skarsgård, Sean Bean, and Jonathan Price. God, what a sweet cast. And Elliot Cava. And Elliot Cava. Ronan. You worried about saving your own skin? Yeah, I am. That was my body. (laughs) Good line. It's a good line. Sick burn. Uh, hold on, I'm gonna look at the chat here. We got some stuff going on. We got, um, I still think that the GoldenEye car chase is better. <laughs> From the video game, do you mean? <laughs> uh, remember, it's not an action movie anatomy episode without a reference <laughs> to The Edge. Work it in, don't worry. Don't worry. worry. That's, that's a big plan. Don't worry, Shouse. And then, uh, top ten for sure in car chases, but maybe top five would be a tough crowd. And because people want to know, is this a top five car chase chase scene in a movie so we i believe we did on the drive episode i could be wrong but i thought on the drive drive. episode that we did top five car chases i think we did and and we thought about doing it again today doing top five car chases of movies that we had covered specifically on the show but it did feel a little redundant and like give us 50 more episodes and we'll we'll hit that one yeah i think we would have ended up with a very similar top five exactly but i do think that this is one of the 
off the top of my head, probably one of the top ten car chase scenes in any action movie. Well, okay, so three times this week when friends of mine, not even like necessarily movie nerds, Max Brockman four five three on Twitter, who is a good friend of ours, and uh, a movie nerd. Yeah, when I was like, hey, we're doing run, and he's like, arguably one of the greatest car chases of all time. Your roommate, who is definitely knows very little about movies, while making an omelet, knew yes. that uh, <laughs> exactly <laughs> wasn't really making an omelet, uh, but he knew that this had kind of one of the great car chases. It's definitely a thing that people reference about Ronan. It just happens to be, and and I have to say, we will show the car chase later. The one in question, or at least yeah. part of it. It it does really hold up in the sense that it like it you really feel like it makes sense it adds mm-hmm. up like the turns feel real it doesn't ever they yeah. yeah they employed like dozens of was it I can't remember if it was hundreds or dozens of drivers? stunt drivers 300, 300 plus. right 300 okay 300 plus and then the other thing that I really love that I know that you probably read this too was that scene does hold up really well the car chase scene holds up well which is that's the biggest detriment to these movies with time and even in born identity yeah it's kind of really it, it it hasn't aged well whereas this did and i think why a big part of it is that they they had right hand driving cars yeah and they had fake steering wheels in front of uh you know de niro and uh what is her la- how do you say her natasha full- mcelhone mcelhone natasha um from the truman show lovely yes, love her and that love that movie yeah, um but they had fake steering wheels in front of them, and they just mimic the driver, which I think really helps because they do a really good job of cutting to the quick chase outside yep. and then to, like, realism inside. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <clears throat> extremely well put together. Uh, so let's, uh, let's move on to our first game of the day, guys. This is one we haven't done a lot recently, but I'm excited about it today. I am as well. This is a game called Action Movie Tagline. So for those of you that don't know what Action Movie Tagline is, it's that it's actually not as much what we used to describe it as. I think it's kind of like a hybrid of two things. Yeah. It's kind of like when we used to go to the video store as kids and we would see like VHS tapes and on the front it would say something like a slam bang action thriller or a nonstop adrenaline thrill ride. And then on the back mm-hmm. it would have the like little paragraph describing the movie. Summary. Yeah. It's like a combo of those two things that we make up. Usually has some humor going on. Yeah. Um, so Very uh, serious. It's very serious. Let's, uh, let's do our action movie tagline. Who would like to go first? Who would like to go first? Elliot Carver would. Voulez-vous go say avec moi? Say soi? No. <laughs> you can't keep straight face. Can't look at you. Do. Start, start it over. Voulez-vous go say avec moi? Say soi? No? Then maybe you'd like to die tonight. Ronan, where your French fantasy might not come true that was it that's good <laughs> that was really good you're docked like a solid 40 percent for losing it during I the first just read do it because <laughs> what, what that means is do you want to sleep with me tonight what that means for those <laughs> for of you, you who don't speak the tongues <laughs> and i was staring at you when i said it and i just couldn't keep it together i'm sorry yeah well you should be <laughs> it's your turn all right here's my action movie tagline for the day Five men marked by dishonor, a mysterious case of incredible fortune, and one woman who is way out of their league. The only thing this movie is missing is exposition. (laughs) From the director of The Manchurian Candidate, Robert De Niro is Ronan. It's good. And it was like it, it was like, it could have almost been used. Yeah, almost. Except that she was out of the league. Except for sure, that she is like she was the Natasha McElhone in the late nineties was the definitive European looking, extremely exotic, beautiful woman. That was badass. Like, in there, it like slipped in there as well. She just was like that was like what she was. Like she, it was if you wanted to cast a chick who was like very clearly a supermodel, like mm-hmm. she just looked so exotic 
that was who you got you went to so like they're a bunch of old crotchety hitmen and she's supposed to be ordering them around and they're supposed to actually listen to her it's so unrealistic but like but she hold, she does it well. Like she, there's never oh, moments yeah. where you're kind of just like, oh man, she's about to get killed. The whole time you're kind of just like, no, she's untouchable. Right. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've worked pretty hard on my mid '90s trailer voice. Yeah. Like I think I've got the '80s one pretty well, but I think my mid '90s one is my. I think that's my it, yeah, strongest the, one. Yeah, because the, the the '80s one has yeah. it has more of that like gravelly high pitchness to it. Yeah, right. I think it's okay, but like I've seen the Congo trailer and the Snake Eyes trailer so many times now. You gotta get. You gotta find better things to do, yeah, man. That I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've really accomplished something yeah. here. <laughs> All right, uh, would come to it for science. So. <laughs> You want to do the whole Congo? I kind of wanted to just do it. <laughs> um, all right, guys. So uh, let's, let's move on to the next section. Um, we did tagline. We are going to do another one of the games that is, is kind of in the same vein. And it's because if I was just to say to you, there's a movie called Ronan, you probably wouldn't think that it had anything to do with the movie we just watched. So I, I had told you that I'd only seen this movie like once. Yep. And I know there's 47 Ronan, and obviously there's Ronan. And I think there's like another really small indie movie called Ronan, okay. I believe. Maybe, yeah. And so I went and I, I rented this movie on, on Amazon Prime or whatever it was. And it opened and it was like, like the, all the, like the writing, like, like in the, in the, the writing beforehand it's about like, the story. Do, 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 yeah. Do. And I was like, Fuck. that actually doesn't happen though. <laughs> I was like, I ordered the wrong movie. Didn't I? Cause it just, it, I just, I didn't, I didn't know that it was, I, I don't know. It just didn't seem like the right thing. And then it, then it cuts to Paris. I'm like, oh, okay, good. So I am in the right place. Right. So yeah. Point being is that. Yeah, with Ronin and what this is about. Like, the name doesn't fit the movie at all. I understand how they, they have to explain it twice. They have yep. to write it out for you in the beginning, and then they have to tell you the story later. Which I was trying to decide, like, okay, let's just say you take that scene out. You don't call the movie Ronin, call something else. But then I was like, you know what? I actually think that that's one of the better exchanges in the movie. Yeah. I think that, so I think it being called Ronin is correct. I just wish they took out the, the captions in, in the beginning. I yeah. think it was unnecessary. So, speaking of names, we are going to do one of the games that we do called the AMA Name Game. Uh, this was suggested by, actually, one of our listeners. Uh, we've done this now a few times. So, guys, we encourage you all the time when you're listening to the show, find us on Twitter at AMA Podcast and tweet at us segment ideas. Mm -hmm. Things for us to, to sort of, like, uh, loop into the show because that's what we have been doing is we've been trying to, since we started the show, add more and more things to make it interesting. New games, new challenges, and uh, the name game is a fun one we use sometimes on movies that it feels like it fits. This is a great one for it. Um, I just had a quick epiphany. What was it? So I, I piggyback on what you just said and based off what a comment was just here in the, in the, uh, the chat saying the professional and Ronan, John Renaud is very best. I agree. I think those are his two best credits. So what if there was a game we played where you took one character that really stands out in a movie, yep. like General Hummel, like Doc Holliday, yep. and you pin them against another character they've played that's also super badass? Oh, like who's the best character? Like what's Of theirs, yeah. So it would be like Jean Reno from The Professional versus Jean Reno from Ronin. Oh, so like in like an ultimate action movie badass style? Like in that sense, yeah. Like oh, we wouldn't cool have to like debate it too long, but yeah, just... Anyway, so if you guys can like maybe elaborate tighten that, tighten that idea <laughs> something to think about that's a cool idea um let's do the am and am game we're yeah. just gonna quickly run through this do you have a good name that you would like to start with i do and i and i might get crucified for this because i'm kind of cheating and and you might not like me either because i'm gonna i want to call it the equalizer and that's, you, a, that's a film already that's a, is it it's a film with denzel washington so just you have another one did this come out was it out in 1998 no, I, it, was, it came out recently. It's a good mil good movie. It's a good meal. <laughs> <laughs> the reason for this is because, like, in The Equalizer, you were watching it, and it's kind of like, okay, I get it. He, like, 
calm situations and he's he whatever in this film de niro is the equalizer man he's a badass he's smart he 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 knows how to argue his points he's level-headed he's very well informed and educated like he calms everyone down in situations he brings them up when he needs to he is the true equalizer i think it's so much more fitting in this movie than for denzel and the other one like the other one it could have been called anything yeah you know whereas in this film i just like that was such a good use of the equalizer missed do you think that this film though is entirely about De Niro? Like, do you think you could you could because it makes it so much his story as opposed to like there is really a story going on that he's just a, a cog in the machine because yeah he doesn't feel superhuman. That's one of the differences between his character and I think a lot of like obviously Denzel and the Equalizer, Jason Bourne. Those mm-hmm. characters feel very superhuman. So I think basing a movie on that character is a little easier. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying. I I guess for me. The story in this film doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, the Ronan aspect is kind of whatever. Right, and that's going to be a part of my thesis is because, like, we don't even know what the goal was. We don't even know what was in the case. Like, we don't know anything about it. It's really just about the relationships between each other and how they interact with one another. So that is why I think that you could just base it off De Niro. So I, uh, I went through, like, a few different options for my name here. I didn't come up with anything that I felt like I was, like totally on board with everything was close Mm -hmm. um the first one i came up with was was the dishonored which i think is cool but i feel like the dishonored still kind of suggests something similar it's it's like a more palatable version of ronin yeah that's what it sounds like to me um because honor samurai it's sort of like in that uh what i ended up going with and this feels like more like a cable movie title but what i went with was where guns go to die oh sorry where old guns go to die it's long where old guns go to die you know what i don't i don't dislike it though like, it seems, it's the kind of thing that if I feel like I saw it on the front of a box with the right actors, I would right. be totally intrigued where old guns go to die. Yeah. Because I, De Niro's 52, 55. 55, I think, in this film. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, which is, you know, like he's, and, and like John Renault feels like he's in his late forties into his fifties. Yeah. And like the whole point of the Ronin is that like, they're not, they're like samurais that were forced into retirement. Yeah. You know, cause they're, they're dishonored. They're, yeah. They, they, their leader died. So, I mean, it makes sense that they're all kind of older and, you know, there's no, like, young hotheads on the team except for Sean Bean, who we all know what happens to him right away. Well, yeah, they're all running from something. They're, yeah. all, they're all lames, as Natasha, Natasha McGillan says to them, which, uh, which is where I sort of, where old, I mean, you could just call it where guns go to die, but I think where old guns go to die. I also had Gunman Graveyard as one written down. Gunman Graveyard. That's yeah, good. I feel like if you could find a hybrid between those two, yeah. it would be perfect. Because it is just a little long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that is my AMA name game. If you guys have any that you think fit perfectly, you should let us know in the live chat. Or uh, always better to tweet at us, just just for the record. Because yeah. things get lost in the live chat easily here. Um, so let's uh, let's move on to thesis statement. This is something that we do every show. And this is, uh, if you guys haven't watched a show before, it's sort of like your big, bold thought, your statement about the film that really holds together, kind of drives the thought through the movie. Um, it's the it's the thing that sticks out to you the most that you want to really stand behind defend almost like rooted in hyperbole should be mm-hmm. big important should never be soft or loose um, and so, it should be something that yeah you can really argue the point you can really really stand behind it yeah. to say that this is really the greatest this yeah, you know I, I think something that we don't describe with uh, thesis very often but I think this is kind of what it is is like if you're at a party and you've got a drink in your hand you're having a good time you're still like very coherent and mm-hmm. somebody says something to you and a movie that you love comes up that you feel like you've watched a lot of times you have a strong point of view about and they're like this movie is great or not great for this reason it's the thing that you would literally lead with it's the thing that you would be like yes you know what's cool about Ronan 
this. That's, That's so funny you say that because our good friend Fernie Chen, who's yeah. on, you know, the last ship is the bad guy, and he's in Warrior. Him and I got in a really intense debate at one of the last parties about the Kingsman. Yeah, because you and I had just done it, and I was saying how great I think that movie is and how awesome the action. He, he didn't like it. Right? He doesn't like it. He yeah. doesn't think it's a good action movie. And I was like, "What are you talking about? It's a great action movie." He's like, "Dude, there's nothing original in it." Yeah. And I was like, "A movie doesn't have to be original yeah. to be a good action movie. It right. has to use its old tools well." And yeah. so I talk specifically about the badass chapel scene. Yeah. He hates it. That seems so amazing. It's though. so sweet because he says it's just the corniest use of speed up camera and yeah. action. And it's just that was that was like my I was like the chapel scene is one of the greatest uses of slow down, speed up camera work and editing. Yeah. And he was like, it is one of the cheapest uses of it, and I can't stand it. Yeah. So. That's what we're talking about, guys. So I'm going to go and lead with my thesis statement on Ronan is this is De Niro's last truly badass masculine role in a film. Um, and that's not to say that he didn't have a ton of roles after Ronan where he tried. I have nipples. Yeah. Could you milk me, Greg? Yeah. <laughs> Was that from Meet the Parents? Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people know this if, if you've been fans of De Niro and just like sort of action movie drama fans for a long time. That's good. That's good. Um, that he switched into comedy around this time. He yeah. It's not that he stopped doing drama, but he did the Meet the Parents franchise was around this time, Analyze This, Analyze That happened around this time. The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle was around this time. Um, he ends up doing the voice in Shark Tale. He, the next 20 years of his career, he takes kind of a different turn. Showtime, I think, is in there. You think it's because he knows? Well, I just think, in a lot of cases, these guys, they shift, A, maybe they have kids. If they don't have kids, it's like, they're just sort of like, I, he did... He did the thing in the 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s where he was gunning for Oscars. He yeah. did it as hard as anybody ever. Yeah, and he, like, won, he won too, you know? Yeah, he did it as hard as almost anybody ever. If you look at the stuff, even just in the early 90s, it's a different kind of work than he ended up doing in the early 2000s. The early 90s, it's like Goodfellas in 1990, Cape right. Fear in 1991. Um, you know, he's, he's going for it. Uh, Casino is 95. Like, whereas later in his career, he just sort of changed it up. So I would have said Heat. But I do think that Ronan holds, like, it holds its own really well. He's a really cool character in Ronan. Uh, when did he come out? Is it two years after? 95. Uh, oh, it's three years two, prior. Three years before, yeah. I would say that he's his last definitive role, but I think that Ronan is his last, like, truly badass masculine role, where he feels like he's a tough guy. Because the score is good. The score's an 01. Yeah, but it's in a very different way. And it's, he's, like, a, he's a safe cracker. He's kind of an old man. He's not, you know. He's, yeah. yeah. He doesn't feel as capable. And if you look at the stuff that happens, you know, Men of Honor... Um, the Good Shepherd, like he tried, he made some stuff that was cool, but it's it's different. He just hit a different place in his career, and that the stuff later where he tried to be crime, sort of hard, like he did the thing Righteous Kill with Pacino and like oh yeah, it was really bad, which is just crazy. It's um, like it's things like that that are so sad about Hollywood when you watch two of the greatest badasses from the eighties and nineties get put in a film twenty five years later, and it's just a joke. So no one cared. No, and uh, who is this? Bruce Lee completely agrees with you. He says, yeah, after running, he was done, and he's become a parody of himself. Yeah, I mean, actually, we, it's funny, we, uh, one of the questions that, that was tweeted at us about AMA question that we, we were asked to talk about, and I actually tweeted back, I believe it was Josh Ryan who said it, was, uh, is this the last great De Niro role? Um, which I tweeted back. It's funny you should ask because that was already my thesis when you tweeted it. Um, Meet the Parents came out a few years later, right? It was like 98, 99. Yeah, Meet the Parents I think is 90. Or maybe 2000. I think it's 2000. Yeah. That sounds right. I mean, it's so funny because that is a f that that is one of his greatest roles ever and it's such a different type of role. It's so not what we're used to. Yeah. Um, is this the last great lead role of Robert De Niro's career was the question he asked. Yeah, so if you're, if you're going to use the word lead which completely takes out anything that he was supporting in, like, Silver Linings Playbook or... That's what I was, in, in, what I was just yeah. going to say. Because he has movies that he's done. It's not a mm -hmm. question of, like, does he still do good work? Because obviously a guy at his level never loses it. Yeah. It's more about, like, 
the reason I saw Ronan in 1998, that, that comment about my dad telling my parents we're splitting up, it's a true story. True story. 98, yeah. we used to go to the movies every week, and like he, we went to see Ronan, because my dad loved De Niro. He would mm-hmm. take me to anything that he was in, cooked me a steak, sat down, having dinner, tells me that my parents are splitting up. I lost it. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously this is 1998. It's almost 20 years, years ago. You were 10 years yeah. old. Um, but nonetheless, he the point was my dad would take me to see anything with that like badass masculine there. I saw mm-hmm. him in theaters in 95. I saw that movie when I was seven. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> um, and that's, he just, my dad was into that sort of stuff. And so I always sort of like, I grew up watching this guy and seeing Goodfellas. I watched Reservoir Dogs when I was like six. Um, not that there was in that. And so the point is, I would see those movies over the next few years. The score I saw in theaters. I saw Good Shepherd in theaters, mm-hmm. like Men of Honor. All of those movies. And none of them really stood up. They weren't good in the same way. Whereas this one stuck with you. Always, yeah. yeah. I've seen this movie like four or five times. Yeah, I mean, I completely understand why. So my thesis, I had like, I had a few, and I had like a negative one saying that this is like, you know, uh, you know, we don't even need to talk about the negative one because it doesn't matter. And then I had some other ones about like the greatest ensemble cast and things like that, which, you know, we're going to cover in our question. I think what I'm going to go with is that this is the greatest use of a MacGuffin employed by Alfred Hitchcock yep. in an action movie. Because the greatest. I think it is, man. Like, I, I could be totally wrong here, and I could just be forgetting other films. But never has a film been driven so strongly by something that you never find out what it is or why they want it. The, the biggest one that I can think of that is more famous than this, though it's not really an action movie, is Pulp Fiction. That's, right, exactly. Yeah. And, but so, yeah. we're talking strictly action here. And, and yeah, and you don't care. And you don't, and I love that you don't care. And, we, yeah. and you know, we, we've done improv together, and we talk about this all the time. It's not about solving the problem. Right. It's about the journey on the way there. Yeah. It's not about figuring out what's in the box. It's about figuring out why we got the box and how we're going to get it, and, you know, things like that. Yeah. So... I just thought it was brilliant. Like when the movie was over and you know, the, one of the last lines is, you know, he asked what was in the box and he goes, I forgot. He goes, Oh, rule number two. Yeah. And I was sitting there, I was kind of like, yeah, good. Because I don't fucking care. He was in the box. No one does. Agreed. And good for you for, for doing that. Yep. Yeah. Fully agree. All right, guys, let's uh, continue moving down the line. Um, you know, I think what we're going to do actually quickly is we're going to do star profiles and then we'll get into fist pump moment a little later. I yeah. feel like we've done several games now. Mm-hmm. We should talk about sort of the movie. We'll probably cover fist pump moment after production notes. Um, so let's get into star profiles, talking about just De Niro's career and where he was. This is uh, this is kind of what we were just talking about, but we'll cover it a little more in depth. So 1998, Great Expectations was 98, mm-hmm. Jackie Brown is 97, Wag the Dogs 97. All of them just critically acclaimed. Yeah, very relevant, like movie, like big, big roles. And it's if you look at his stuff, it's really not the question that, that after 98 he tanked. It's more about the kind of roles that he was taking. Mm-hmm. Um and so, because as you start to go back, right, like 97, I think also 97 is Copland, which is sweet. Um, is he? He's in that? Yeah, he's the cop. He's the cop that's... Oh, he, wait, I'm thinking of Sylvester Stallone and... and Sylvester Stallone the, is the cop with the deaf cop. Right, and, that gets shot by the ear. Yeah, but De Niro is the internal affairs investigator who oh is investigating God, the town. Yeah, I've only seen that movie once. Copland's really it's sweet. It's good. I remember it. I need to watch it again. It's a little... It's tough to bring on here. ...drama for us. We could do it, though. Yeah. It's, it's got enough action. It's okay. Definitely got enough anyway, sorry to um, interrupt. So uh, yeah, ninety seven I think is that movie. Like I said, ninety five is Heat. Ninety five is Casino. Uh, his his stretch there in the nineties was pretty. Impressive. He was the guy. Yeah, yeah, he was like he was hitting that sort of like I'm in my I'm in my mid forties. You guys all know me as the guy from Raging Bull and Taxi mm-hmm. Driver, Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Godfather Part Two. He was a legend at this point. Absolutely. Already. Yeah. I mean, he, he gets put in the conversation with Pacino and Nicholson as like sort of the greatest actor of that era 
pretty frequently for a reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if he hadn't, God, it's funny. Every one of them, I feel like, has made has done the same thing. Except, I think, I think Nicholson's. I think Nicholson has suffered from it the least because he did the Departed. Yeah, and I and and like he, he I mean, because there's weird shit in there too. Like there's about Schmidt, which is super weird, but good, but good. And 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 you know, there's also something's uh, got to give. Something's got to give, which is great. He won the Oscar for that. Or no, no, she. Wait, I'm no. thinking something's got to give. Greg Kinnear, who won it? Who someone won an Oscar for that? You, you're talking earlier. You're talking about um, uh, with Helen Hunt. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Which is James L. Brooks' movie. Um, I love that movie. As good as it gets. As good as it gets. Yeah, fantastic. So, so he when he took his turn as like getting old. Yeah, I think he embraced it better than these other guys did. Yeah, I mean I, they're all around the same age and they all came up around the same time. If you look at ninety eight two thousand as like the the point for each one of them where mm-hmm. it starts to really change, I think you can make a strong argument like. I think Pacino really suffered in the 2000s. Um, I think De Niro really suffered in the 2000s. I think Nicholson did less work. Yeah, well, that's, again, that's that's what I'm also, that's another point that I think I wanted to convey is that he didn't just start doing all these dumb comedies, like yeah. really bad comedies. He, yeah. I'm sure he did a couple in there, but I feel like the other two guys really fell victim of that. Yeah, they kept, I mean, both of them, both uh, De Niro and Pacino were classic theater guys. And uh, De Niro did the bridge over San Luis Rey, which is, I was kind of too young to really understand what was good or bad about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, Pacino was in The Merchant of Venice. Um, I think he oh, did The Merchant yeah. of Venice in 04. Yeah. Or 05. I saw it in theaters with my mom. Yeah. Uh, and he plays Shylock. Mm-hmm. And he's really good. He's really he's good. He's really good. I forget about that. So Pacino still, he still turned in a few good ones. They all did, but I, I, I would honestly say of the three of them, the one that I think has suffered the very most is De Niro. I think... But you're still okay with any of them doing something fantastic Complete, right now, right? Completely. Like a complete revival. So then, on the flip side, you go to Jean Renault, and I and I only picked American movies, yeah, because um, there's there's a few of. I mean, obviously, in case yeah. you didn't know, uh, he's not from here. Yeah, um, there's other of those you know movies in between. But he's so you from look at Namibia, Namibia, Zimbabwe. So the first one is Godzilla, 1998. Yep, Matthew Broderick, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosanna's Grave, 97, and Mission Impossible, 96, yep. uh, which he's very good in Mission Impossible. That was the first time I'd ever seen him in a movie. I hadn't seen The Professional yet. Okay. Um, and I was like, this guy's a bad guy. He's a yeah. bad, bad guy. But he was on the other side of it as he'd been very successful uh, in his home country. And then coming here, working with De Niro, who's like, like you said, he's a legend. Completely. And Renault is just breaking into the American film um, scene. And he's doing it really well. You yeah. know, like he's had a few titles in there, but now he's starting to really work specifically in America, in Hollywood. Right. Um, which, it's weird because Leon is basically, in my mind, his biggest leading role ever. Renault. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I think that's, that is true. Cause in he's, America. He's supporting in all of the rest of these, and mm-hmm. Leon is Luke Besson's best movie, I think, by a mile. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's hilarious that he's the lead role in that, yet he's still not even the thing that's most remembered about it. I know. It's all yeah. old men. Yeah. Old and, men. And, and I think the reason is is that, like, Renault's fantastic. He's so good as a support guy. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's really where he belongs. And some actors just belong in the supporting role. He's, I mean, Ronan is well remembered for John Renault. He's, Absolutely. He's, I would say, I think next to The Professional, it is probably the one that he's most remembered for. Because mm-hmm. um, Mission Impossible, he's remembered for it, but I don't think he's, like, yeah. as integral of a part. But he is the other guy... Uh, in the in the uh, hanging in the, in the hanging in the CIA to, with to get the data with the knife, he's the other guy with Cruz. Yeah, yeah. He's the guy holding Cruz up. It's, it's the 
It's the two of them, and then Ving Rhames on the in the yeah on the, on the comms. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, uh, by the rat. That is John Renault uh, talking about just like uh, who made this movie. Some of the things we mentioned that uh, the three hundred Sun Drivers were employed. They destroyed eighty automobiles while filming this film, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because the budget's actually relatively small for that. Uh, we'll yeah. talk about that a little later, but. Um, I thought this was a funny point, too. They keep referencing the man in the wheelchair. Yeah, I saw that as well. Um, and it's actually the it's from the book, The Born Identity, um, but but not from the movie, The Born Identity. Yeah, it's, because in the book, this guy, yeah, uh, he killed Born. Yeah. So it's funny that like it, it's like um, and it, if you really think about the script and the way that this movie functions, it has so many of the same elements that ended up making the Born movies good, mm-hmm. like. It's the it's the very cloak and dagger. I was say, cloak and dagger is like the best way. You, yeah. Espionage, CIA, whatnot. Like it's, it's like just, very quick cut. Direct. Yeah, exactly. The script is very much written that way, so it makes it makes sense that it would reference something from, you know, a Robert Ludlow book. Which is interesting because if we're gonna get right into writing and, and scripts, and you and I were sitting there watching the film, and mammatisms, as you know, from Charles, yeah, and uh, the bear in. in in the edge, they say Charles like over eighty times. Something they like say that. each other's names like over eighty times. In this film, they don't have that, but they do have the, the like the really quick cutting, like very concise speaking that Mamet's known for. But he was mainly a film doctor, a script doctor on this. He significantly rewrote the script, making major changes to character and dialogue from J.D. Zeich's original. Um, and there was a big dispute between MGM and the Writers Guild and. Uh, so the, the final credits, it's story by J.D. Zyke, screenplay by J.D. Zyke, and Richard Weiss, which is a, a surname. Yeah, um, Mamet is... Pseudonym. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know David Mamet well, um, it's not like The Edge is his crown jewel. No, um, God, no. He's like a world-renowned Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, screenwriter and uh, playwright. Playwright, he's yeah. incredibly famous. Uh, he's He's very, very particular in his style. I would argue that his writing style is almost as particular as any. Um, he has written a ton of stuff. He still works. Um, some of like his most recent stuff, uh, he, he wrote Phil Spector, the HBO film starring mm-hmm. Al Pacino and Helen Mirren. Um, originally, he's very famous for Glengarry Glen Ross, the original play, which then was adapted to a film with also with Pacino, which was nominated for Oscars. Um, Sexual Perversity in Chicago is a famous play that he wrote. So this guy is everywhere. Uh, it's funny. We When we did The Edge, we talked about his writing and how um, he did this show, The Unit, for like three years, 06 to 09, I think. He's one mm-hmm. of the producers and creators of the show. And there's this memo that he wrote to his writing staff. Um, so he talks in the memo a lot about exposition and about characters and scenes should not be, they shouldn't be talking about what's going to happen. They right. should be doing it, right? He said, it's a, waste of, it's a waste of time. Action, intention, that's what you want. You don't want just like discussion, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Don't talk about it, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because if you look at the way that Ronan turns out, it's very difficult to follow. Yeah, and it's and and that's why I think when we got this piece of trivia, it kind of was like, oh, okay, there it is. There's the missing link. Yeah, because you and I were wondering, even when we were watching it, and like the use of scenery, and I mean, they shot basically ninety eight percent of the scenes on location, but yeah. so many of the locations, you were like, this could just be a theater set. Yeah, it all, looks like a set. It's all very basic, and that, that also makes sense. If you ever watch Glengarry the movie, Glengarry is, is, is originally is a play, and the movie feels just like a play. Mm-hmm. It's just super simple. He, you know, when we watched the first scene, I was like, this just feels like it could be a theater set. It feels. You're so You're talking about simple. when they're when he's in the bar. Yeah, just the, yeah. the whole opening scene, and so many of the scenes, it's like De Niro in a bed, or like it's just these. It's just character dialogue move, character dialogue move, and it's in these of, small confined 
overly lit theater lit yeah uh sets yeah rooms mostly like just rooms yeah um and so it's funny if you think about like he probably got this script and he probably went through it and he probably was like i'm gonna get rid of this crap i'm gonna get rid of this crap he was probably in misery at first yeah and he's like i'm just gonna make this all about what's happening in the scene what's happening in the scene what's happening in the scene i'm gonna get rid of the exposition and in in the end i actually think the movie suffers because it's difficult to follow what the hell's going on it yeah i completely agree and i think that was so weird for a mammoth play i mean a mammoth screenplay to be sitting there and be like you and i were like what the hell's going on yeah you know and and it, it it makes so much more sense that he script doctored it and didn't write it. Yeah, a hundred percent. So anyway, moving on from Mamet, um, he is, he's well known and, and has done a lot of things there. When I, when I was talking about how simple and sort of old feeling it looked, it made me think, um, because it's directed by John Frankenheimer. Mm-hmm. Now, when we first looked up Frankenheimer, if you go to, if you just look up John Frankenheimer on IMDb, it says known for Ronin reindeer games, the Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. The Manchurian candidate. <laughs> and you're like, huh? weird Weird. (laughs) yeah and you were like who's frankenheimer and i was like i think i oh no he's he's just a hacky he's just a hacky director right like because when i first heard his name i was like oh i know who that is same i was like oh frankenheimer yeah he was he's that's a big name yeah but then when you look at the list and you start to go back frankenheimer's incredibly famous but he's from a different generation um he is truly one of these people that represents it's kind of like what we were talking about with the original mechanic last week the writer on the original mechanic and the people involved in that movie when somebody is relevant, like even relevant to the point that they get nominated for an Oscar or they're around for one movie or two movies that people really liked, but it's from 40 years ago. Right. It's like, it, no matter how much we love movies, in 1997, 1998, when we were first watching a lot of movies, those things were still kind of recent. Kind of. Mm-hmm. 20 years later, it's 2016. Something that happened in 1972, if it wasn't the movie that won Best Picture, is like... It's pretty hard to... It's hard to track it. Yeah. So when you start to read into Frankenheimer, his story is that he wanted to be an actor. He ended up... This is actually a really cool piece. Um, he ended up joining... Uh, let's see. Uh, the the uh, Motion Picture Squadron of the Air Force, hmm. um, which I guess must just be like... that's That must be why he's so... Yeah, so he he must have like made movies for the Air Force to like promote or sell the Air Force. I guess is what I'm guessing that means. Yeah, because he he always kind of has a military theme. Yeah, you know. And so after his military discharge, he began directing uh, TV in 1953. Um, he ended up like his so so his major credits aside from Ronan, um, Birdman of Alcatraz, The Manchurian mm-hmm. Candidate, Seven Days in May, The Train, Seconds, Grand Prix, French Connection Two, and Black Sunday. So, quite honestly, I have never seen a single one of those movies other than the Manchurian Candidate. I've seen the original Manchurian Candidate. Right, which is funny because he was supposed to originally direct the Breakfast or Breakfast at Tiffany's with Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. Starring, yeah. Starring, starring, yeah, Marilyn Monroe, but Audrey Hepburn uh, took the role, which is like, I've never heard of him. I don't want him to do it. Yeah. So then he goes and directs Manchurian Candidate. Yeah, which is ultimately his most famous, I guess. I mean, that's a famous movie, yeah. you know, to get remade, and, and it's not, like, looked at in a negative way at all. It's, no. it's still, you know, it's still one of the greats. Yeah, he also uh, he was he was a guy that sort of had his finger on the pulse politically of societal issues that a lot of his movies sort of reflected what was going on. Manchurian Candidate is that way. Yeah, um, it's a trippy movie. Yeah, and uh, he also was very famous for adapting plays for television. He he was noted for directing fifty plays that were put on, which TV. makes so much sense. Completely. Like when we were sitting there talking, and then that's I mean that's what stemmed the conversation of of the director was we were sitting there talking. We're like, it's so crazy, you know. You were saying that. Um, 
it just looks like a play and it's oh it must be because mamet wrote it and it's yeah. like yeah definitely it's like oh well you know the director has a big part of that so we looked up the director and then this was like oh my god so you've got a playwright and a play director that's like adapting play to television which is one of the hardest things to do yeah to take a play and just put it on tv completely um it makes so much sense in the set and costume and lighting design. Yeah, the other thing that's funny about it is, like, as a guy who was so famous for doing films in the 60s and 70s, um, the fact that Ronan is, is is as good as it is is actually kind of remarkable, considering yeah. the movies that came out after and before, Island of Dr. Moreau and Reindeer Games. Why is Ronan as good as it is? It's just, like, it's tight. It's got a really good cast. Um, yeah. It's got some. It's got a great, great car chase. It's 35 minutes too long. It is. Um, but, I mean, when, when we were watching some of those scenes, it was like... Why is it that, you know, I made the comment. I was like, you know, Stellan Skarsgård, this is the same year that he did Good Will Hunting. And it blew my mind. It literally blew my mind. And I think it's because Frankenheimer is such an old school looking director. Yeah. Um, I mean, he died in 2002. He's, he died four years after this. Mm-hmm. But I think he's such an old school looking director that I was like, this could be 1988. I Not- literally kept, when I was talking, I was like, this is 30 years ago. You go, dude, it was 20 years ago. I go, yeah, 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 2020. And then, like, yeah, and, and, I mean, and this came out 30 years. I kept saying that. Yeah. And it's because it feels like it came out in the 80s. Yeah, this movie kind of feels like it was like 82, 86, 88, something like that. If you guys have ever seen To Live and Die in L.A., this feels a lot more like watching To Live and Die in L.A. Mm-hmm. than it feels like watching, say... Uh, face off or something right and we could be looking at this in the complete wrong light and that that's actually a piece of art like that's beauty that he was able to take it back and make it look older and more maybe that helped the whole like dagger film noir european thing it has kind of a gritty thing going on which i think is cool it's very simple um but uh, anyway lastly we'll talk about the producer frank mancuso jr he's not exactly um known for for producing Oscar-winning material. Um, his dad was uh, was Frank Mancuso Sr., who was the former CEO of both Paramount and MGM. Um, so his son, Frank Mancuso Jr., produced uh, all of the Species films. Nice. He produced Stigmata and he five uh, five of the Friday the 13th series. Ronan is by far the best movie he ever made. Yep. Um, so that's pretty interesting. I do think it's interesting, though, to note, normally when we look up action movies, yeah. they have like 11 I was producers. Gonna, yes. He's the only person credited as producer. He has an EP who his this is like one of two credits, and he has an associate producer who's done a lot of television. Yeah, that's crazy. I, yeah, when I pulled when I was just pulling the names, I was like, wow, this well, this was a long time ago because there's one name here, and there's five names yeah. involved between the writer, director, producer. That never it. happens. Uh, so uh, let's move into fist bump. Let's yes. move into fist bump moment. Yes. So uh, guys, this is the part of the show where we talk about something in the something in the movie that just made us go like, "Fuck yeah, that was just awesome." You look around, you're like, "Are you watching this right now?" Like, it's just so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, you, you, you're like, you sort of have that. I get to watch the rest of this movie moment. You almost give a literal fist pump. Could be anything. Could be the title sequence. Could be a headshot. Could be a fight. Could be a line. Um, mine's one of those. Uh, today, mine is one of those like very odd small things that just like really stood out to me. What do you got? Uh, so it was. It's funny because, again, it was like the first, it was the second time I sat down and watched this all the way through since I was a kid and in my whole life. And it was like your third or fourth time watching it. And so yeah. when the first car chase happens with the ambush, yeah. we were kind of like, wait, is this a car chase or not? I, it might, I mean, this is a pretty good car chase. Yeah. Uh, and then the second car chase happens at the end. And you're just like, oh no, this is, def- you can feel it immediately, right? Yeah. But my favorite thing, my fist pump moment was they're driving and. Shit's kind of getting intense, and all of a sudden yeah. you see De Niro put on his seatbelt. Yeah. And Renault kind of looks at him. And then it cuts to the other car, yeah. and then you see the uh, I think she puts on her seatbelt, yeah. and yeah. then and then it something happens again, and then and then Carver puts on his seatbelt. Yeah. And I'm just I was like, that was when I looked at her, I was like, fuck yeah. Carver, you mean Jonathan Price? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will only refer to him as Elliot Carver. Uh, but that was my moment, that was my fist pump moment, is because like 
That's what I would do. Yeah. If I got in a car chase and it was like getting really intense, I mean, of course I didn't get in the car and put on my seatbelt and check my mirrors. I just got in the fucking car and I'm driving. Yeah. And then you get in there and you're like, holy shit, you're driving around. You're like, okay, this is getting really intense. Yeah. Like I need to buckle in. And, uh, and you also see at the end, uh, I think it's, oh, it's Skarsgård that puts a seatbelt on because uh, Price does not put a seatbelt on. He's messed up the most when the car flips. Right, right. Uh, anyway, so that is my fist pump moment is when the seatbelts are slowly getting put on through the final car chase. So I'm going to go with one that I think is probably like a little more predictable than that. Um, and it's when I saw this movie as a kid, the thing I remembered the very most there was two scenes. I remember the scene where De Niro's taking the bullet out. Um, <sighs> and I remember the scene where uh, he's punking Sean Bean. Because the first, like, 20 minutes of this movie are, like, some of the best, I think. Yeah. I love I love the interactions between Sean Bean and De Niro. It's such a qualifier moment for De Niro to punk him as hard as he does. Yeah, and Sean Bean is so good at doing what he's... It being a little weasel. Because even when she's talking, he's like, well, why do you say five to eight, then, if you don't know? She's like, yeah. well, because there's two to three cars. You go, well, why five... Six? You know, he's just like, yeah. shut up. Yeah. You know? Um, it's awesome. It's the scene where he gets up, and he's like... But shooters here, and shooters here. Then he walks up, and he, like, wipes the thing off. He's like, draw it again. He's like, what do you do? He's like, draw it again. The shooters here, shooters here. Where'd you learn that one? Yeah. Right? And he starts to say, he's like, what color is the boathouse at Hereford? And he's like, what are you doing? What color <laughs> is the boathouse at Hereford? And that's my, that's my fist bump moment. Just when he punks him in the coffee. You talk about an ambush, I just ambush you with coffee. Yes. Yeah, yeah the ambush you with coffee, it's true because it's... Yeah, and then, and then the next scene, the follow-up scene is, is so what color is the... Airfield at Hereford. No. Yeah. How the fuck should I know? How the fuck should I know? <laughs> and Scott Scott's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what what the reaction cup. Yeah, the reaction cup's the yeah. other one, right? Because uh, yes. Yeah, when he and De Niro knocks it off and, and he catches the cup. Good reflexes. Oh yes. I die hard. They die hard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I totally uh, remember those scenes as a kid. Those were totally completely stuck out to me. Did you think that Scarsgard was immediately the bad guy when you saw that? Do you remember? Uh no, it's too long ago. I I didn't. When it happened, but there was a kind of moment just like, that's weird. Yeah. What does that mean? Right. But I was like, I thought Sean Bean was going to come back and be the bad guy. Right. And then I I think right after that scene is when you see Carver for the first time. Yeah. Jonathan Carver. Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. <laughs> um, got okay. the ones. We got the money. Yeah. So good. Yeah, Sean Bean's sweet. Uh, all right, so we're going to move into Critical. Um, this was released by MGM. This movie was what you would call a flop, my friends. It cost $55 million to make. It came out in September of uh, 1998, and it only grossed $41 million domestically. And it didn't go, it didn't go worldwide. Uh, it didn't, and I don't know why, because it feels like with someone like Jean Reno in it, and yeah. with it being filmed in Paris, yeah, it would be the the movie to to go worldwide oh, that's kind of weird um jonathan can we queue up that um that uh uh not the not the chase the the sorry, oh the box office the box office i wanted to see the uh, the box office uh, i pulled um the 20 films so ronan was the 48th highest grossing film in 1998 i thought you'd enjoy this because there's so many movies in here that are like crappy movies we saw as kids that oh, we loved I, 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 like every single one of them um so uh at 29 you have blade Snake followed guys. by last lost in space a perfect murder parent trap uh skip 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 life is beautiful u.s marshals man in the iron mask a civil action Th- Snake just guys. looking at this list like makes my heart happy what dreams may come small soldiers mighty joe young practical magic micho black the negotiator and ronin this like 98 was a year for us man yeah, no, those, I mean, there's there's a bunch of movies on there that I want to do on the show. It's like a like, bunch of crappy cable movies. Yeah. yeah, Snake Eyes, The Negotiator. Both too bad to probably ever do on the show. U.S. Marshals, yeah. Blade, <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, we should do Blade. 
Blade, oh. Blade feels like it. I honestly think we could do Blade and Blade 2. Yeah. Blade 2's real sweet. Is that the one with Reynolds or is he in 3? Uh, no, Blade 2's the one with... Uh, with uh, Ron Perlman? Ron Perlman and uh, Daryl from oh, Walking Dead. And... I, thought that they, I thought that was all the same movie. I just... No, 3 sucks. That's Trinity. And that's, but that does have Reynolds. Yeah, and that's the one but 2's with, really with good. With him and Beale, right? They got jacked. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, two's really good. I, I actually watched the whole thing the other day. Couldn't, I couldn't turn it off. It was that good. I was stuck to it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the point is, uh, Ronan came in at 48 that year, uh, only making $41 million, and that is a flop. If if our information is incorrect there, we have tried before, and we've actually been tweeted at once before on one of these where we couldn't find the yeah. worldwide, that uh, somebody found the worldwide info. Which, which guys, I, I feel like we could be wrong. I, I always look at Box Office Mojo. I forgot to check the numbers this week. Those are my two big ones um, in Wikipedia. So if you guys can find it, let me know because this seems wrong, and I don't ever like giving out wrong information. It right. seems impossible that this movie would have not been released worldwide with someone like De Niro and Renault, and it would have only made $41 million. Yep. Um, so moving forward critically, we're going to talk about IMDb first. It's got a 7.3 on IMDb, and this one kind of follows our, our little algorithm on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is that all critics gave it 68%, top critics gave it 57 and the audience gave it an 80. 57 is low, I think. That is, it's actually kind of surprisingly low. Yeah. It seems out of place. Yep. Um, I didn't pull reviews for it because that's our job. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like I feel like with this movie, we've talked in, de- or in length so much about what worked and didn't work uh, that that would just be a little bit redundant. The other one note that I want to make is that it opened number two at 12 million behind yeah. Rush Hour. The original Rush Hour, which made $21 million. Um, kind of hard to compete with that at the time. Rush Hour. Yeah. Same year. Uh, all right, so let's move right into our favorite line. Favorite line. Sweet. So uh, as I mentioned, the other the other part of watching this movie as a kid that I remember so distinctly, and it's funny because I remember De Niro taking the bullet out of himself. Um, that's not what happens, but for some reason as a kid, that's the thing. I just thought that's what happened. That was so sweet. Yeah. It's probably the sweetest, it's probably, like, the sweetest, like, tough guy moment in the movie for De Niro. Because mm-hmm. he just, like, directs him through it. He's like, fuck her, te- you coat it with Teflon. Right? Like, it's it's just so cool. And then, and then this is my favorite line. If you don't mind, I'm going to pass out. Yeah. And he just goes to sleep. He just goes to sleep. And yeah. it, it's, it's perfect, because he's like, can you do this on your own? Okay, okay. Like, yeah. I, I, that scene. Yeah. It's so basic, and there's nothing going on. It's just so raw and real and badass. Yeah. Like, I'm, I was sitting there cringing, and I love horror movies. Yeah. And it, it, it just, it was good. It yeah. was really well acted and yep. just great. Um, Okay, real quick here. What is your name, my friend? I have such bad vision. K.S. King Nobby says, well, first, he said Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes! Snake yeah. Eyes is so beautifully bad. I love it. But yeah. then he goes and said, IMDb says 30 million non-USA. And total about seventy million, and we had someone called Aussie Bounty, okay, who said Ronan definitely came to Australia. I saw it for my birthday, so thank you guys oh, cool. so much for letting us know and responding yeah. immediately, and that you went and saw Ronan on your birthday. That's really the coolest part. It's a lot happier than the day I saw it. <laughs> Just kidding. I still can't. <laughs> when you're like, yeah, for some reason Ronan always stick, stuck with me. I wanted to be like, it's because that's the day. <laughs> uh, all, all right, we joke, we joke. Okay, so my favorite line is. Shoot, you used, you did use my one uh, ambush. Talk about ambush, yeah. you know, uh, ambush you with a cup of coffee. I, you know what? I think I still got to do it. I think it's still my favorite one. Well, then I'll throw it. So you use that one then. Yeah. And I will say uh, the other line that I really like is when Sean Bean first says to Nero, you ever kill anybody? And uh, he's like, I heard someone's feelings once. Someone's feeling once. Uh, I did have like a second fist pump, and that was when 
they're walking into the tunnel for the gun exchange. Yeah. It's so weird. And Ethan Jones like, I don't like this. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm not going in that. You know, that was like a, a little small fist pump and kind of almost my favorite line at that yeah. moment. Cause I was just like, fuck. I was like, this guy knows, this guy knows that something real bad is about to go down. Yeah. So sure. yeah, those are, uh, those are mine. Um, shall we get into our recast of the week? Yeah, it's yeah. been a while since we've done a recast, and we're going to switch it up a little bit. Yeah, so we decided, guys, because uh, this is not an opportunity that we get as much, which is a which is an ensemble cast of a little bit older age um, playing, obviously, with one female who's kind of a dominant character. It seemed like right. an interesting opportunity to flip the gender. That's right. So we decided we wanted to do, uh, we're going to recast five actors. That's Sean Bean, Natasha McElhone, Stellan Skarsgård, Jean Reno, and De Niro, but we're going to do all women for men and one man for the woman um, we are going to start with Stellan Skarsgård who do you have don't you love that we uh, that we didn't what is his name Victor or the, uh, the poor guy the that guy gets, who his gets throat, his throat slit yeah. we're just like we're going to put Sean Bean in we've done like seven and eight actor recasts before they take fucking forever they're just yeah. like too much yeah it's too much yeah it's just too uh, much so you, you said you want to start with Skarsgård Skarsgård yeah what do you got the bad girl the bad woman. I'm going to go with Angelina Jolie. You're going with Jolie on Skarsgård? I'm going with Jolie on Skarsgård. Okay, I like it. I Jolie's would... probably like 46 now, 50 Is maybe. She? Yeah, I mean, they're, I, all the women that I cast are, well, I think, nah, no. Yeah, she's she's definitely close to 50, though. Yeah. Yeah. She's got right around there. Uh, for Stallone Skarsgård, I went young, because mm-hmm. I feel like he looks a little young in this movie. He does. And I don't actually think he, if he is really young, because he's the tech guy, I don't think it's an issue. Mm-hmm. So I went with Rooney Mara. Uh, oh, I like I love well. I love her. Yeah, Dragon but I like too. that. Um, I just like her. I think she's great. I think she's a, she's a great actress, and I um, I think she would be able to pull off kind of like as she has pulled off like creepy and weird before. Right. Put you know some glasses or whatever. I just think she'd be kind of a cool, cool like sort yeah, of what villain. Jolie look like all creepy and weird like that. I can see. It. I just haven't seen her do anything in forever. All right. So who do you have for the Sean Bean? Who do you have for the Sean Bean? Sean Bean. Who is it? Uh, I went Rosamund Pike. Oh, that's pretty good. And because you know how I feel about her, I just yeah. think she's the best at kind of just being like a snooty bitch. Yeah. And I think that if she, instead of being kind of like, because uh, he's kind of scrappy and kind of an asshole and like, you know, he, he he's taken his more lower class. Yeah. I think if she played his character super high class yeah. and then was put on blast for being full of crap, yeah. it would just be, oh, I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, all right. This is kind of a weird one, but for my Sean Bean... I went Charlize, and I'll tell you hmm. why. Okay. Um, there's this, like, creepy attribute that she kind of plays in Monster, and she puts the weight on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of creepy yeah. <laughs> attributes about that. But she's, she's like, squirrely and weird and creepy, yeah. and she's good at it. She's really good at it. Which is because um, I've heard when that woman walks in a room, yeah. every single person can feel her presence and her power yeah. and her confidence. So to, when you see her being kind of like uncomfortable in her own skin, yeah, there is something eerie about it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was definitely intru- I was I was definitely uh, struck by her when I met her. I mean, she's definitely was pretty yeah, intense, so, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I like it, it's a weird one because it seems weird that she would like gain weight and like put on that character for this. And if she mm-hmm. doesn't, it's hard because she's so beautiful. Yeah. But I still think she would be great at it. Like she just. I think she could just be like really like squirrely and like not trustworthy. I think she could play the role really well. Yeah, I, it, and it, it would also be another one of those situations, just like in this one, where you're like, "God damn it, he's gone." I yeah. wanted him in more of this film. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. I, how bad did you want Sean Bean to come back as a bad guy? Yeah, it's just, like it's somehow he should have. Yeah. Um, um, what about your uh, Natasha McElhone? I love this, and and you and I talked about this. You have to have someone very strong to play this role. Yeah. Because especially, I mean, I grew up in a house of four women. Yep. I think having the cards flipped where it's, it's four chicks and one guy as yeah. opposed to four guys and one girl is even harder to, to find that guy. 100%. And I'm going Javier Bardem. A sweet. Because 
He's foreign. He's got the accent. He's Javier Bardem, man. Yeah. Like, that guy's a badass. He's sure of himself. And there would never be a moment, just like with Natasha, where I'm like, is there going to be a mutiny? Or, you know, yeah, it, right. it would just be like, nope, this is, this is who he is, and he's just business. So, uh, for mine, I went with an old show favorite, and that's Michael Fassbender. And the ah, reason is because Fassbender's, fast. he's so intense he is. and kind of evil looking. Yeah, and if you that, see Jobs, yeah. he's, yeah. What I was thinking is like, all right, if this is, a, if this is like a crime situation where you have four women and a guy, and the guy is supposed to, and the guy is supposed to be calling the shots, but mm-hmm. these women are all like supposed to be badasses, there could absolutely be some like standing up to each other moments. And it, there might be an uncomfortable moment if this was a, a gender bender recast where like Bender had to like put his hand on a woman, like like slap like a, a woman. backhander, yeah. yeah, you know, like know your role kind of a thing. Yeah, because he's trying to call the shots, right? Whereas with Bardem, he would be he's already so big presence wise, but Fassbender is a little smaller to yeah. where he might have to do something like that. It's against character, obviously, because McElhone is like pretty good. She's not evil, yeah. But it's just one of those things where I we need to have a guy that I sort of the evil and the like intensity in his eyes mm-hmm. is there that if he had to do that in the movie, he could pull it off and you would still be like, um, not like he's a bitch and he's doing this, but like, right. He's calling the shots and he's asserting himself. I could also see Waltz doing this. Christoph Waltz. That'd be yeah. pretty sweet too. Yeah. Granted the violence against women is not something I would want. No, to no, God, no, like, it's not something we encourage, but I, I completely understand what you're saying there. Um, what about your genre now? Uh, I love this one as well. Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, that's sweet. It's, she's just so good and she's hot and she's a badass, and she's, she doesn't look too young. Yeah. She doesn't look too old. Um, She's just she's just kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fell in love with her in Mission Impossible 5. Yeah, she's yeah. coming back for 6, right? Yeah. Can't um, wait. I went with Melissa Leo for Jean Reno, um, which I think is sweet. Yeah. I, I liked Melissa Leo in uh, the two Olympus and London Has Fallen movies. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's pretty intense in those movies. She, she is. I, I always forget. Yeah. She's pretty tough. Um, I think she could she can play softer. and uh, But I like her. She's a strong woman. Uh, she seems like the right age to compliment who I cast as my De Niro. Yeah. Uh, who'd you cast? Uh, my De Niro is... is the beautiful, the talented Miss Kate Beckinsale. Oh, okay, wow. So, you, so she's like beautiful and young still. I mean, young looking. She's like never. That's the thing is that she's she not, never ages past thirty. She's not young, but she's. I mean, relatively speaking, but she's still beautiful. That was like when I cast her, I was like, is she too hot to do this? It's like De Niro was fifty five, but De Niro looked great. Like yeah. he could have still played in his late thirties if he wanted to. I yeah. think. Um, do you think that you would be able to buy her as a lead that had like a, a CIA past where she had like dishonored herself? It's interesting because like so so at the end of Click, she's got like that gray streak in her hair, yeah, and they like do makeup on her to make her look a little older, yeah. That's like the oldest I've ever seen Kate Beckinsale on anything. I think I never saw Click. I actually heard it's very sad. It's very sad. Yeah. It's actually a pretty damn good movie. Huh. Um, yeah, I think she could. I think that if with the right makeup and 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 look. She could pull off someone that's been like disowned, dishonored yeah. by the CIA. I want Sigourney Weaver, uh, and and Sigourney <laughs> yeah. might be a little old for the role at this point, but, but she's I Sigourney Weaver. Don't mind it. I think she. Could, I don't think that she's being... Lin- Linda Hamilton. Yeah, she's sweet. Yeah, um, I don't think that Weaver is too old for this role. I think she could totally pull it off. Um, Me too. Yeah, I'm a big big fan, and I like the idea of Weaver and Leo as kind of the two, and then Rooney Mara is like the person that betrays them, the younger one. Yeah, Fassbender is kind of ordering them around a little bit, and uh, and Charlize, who is like, because like Bean's handsome, yeah. So like, I, I think it kind of works if Charlize is like beautiful and almost like outclasses the two leads a little bit, but is like just gets put, put in her head. place. Yeah, she's like put in her place by the like more. Uh, matriarchal Sigourney Weaver. I like that. I like, I actually really like this, this, uh, this recast. So guys, uh, at AMA podcast, get us, you can hashtag master recaster. If you want to decide who had the better gender flopping 
gender switching, bending, uh, recast, and also you can post yours because I'm sure that there's a lot of really great ladies and gentlemen that we missed. And uh, as well as that, find us, yeah, as you said, on Twitter at AMA Podcast to let us know your question of the day. We're oh, going to be announcing yeah. next week's film soon, but uh, we are going to be discussing today's question, which was, su- which was submitted by Jonas T um, at A-U-R-E-L-E-O-N. So Aurelian. Aurelian. Um, and his question was, what's the best ensemble cast in an action movie? His actual question was, is Ronan the best ensemble cast in an action movie? Um, Very good question. First of all, thank you. It's a great question. It's hard to answer without kind of putting, I guess, in context, um, the fact that we don't do certain ensemble types of movies on this show. Right. So, so we won't be talking about any of the superhero movies. Superhero movies, that's that's one that we try to avoid. We usually have avoided war movies, which mm-hmm. we did Lone Survivor, but traditionally we stay away from oh, them. That's a good ensemble cast. Yeah, Lone Survivor's sweet. Yeah. Um, ones that come, I think the one that comes to mind for me right off the bat is another De Niro film, and it's Heat. Ooh. Um, Heat's a remarkable ensemble cast. That's so good. It's like, I mean, the you have like, you have like De Niro and Pacino, mm-hmm. right? Followed up by Val Kilmer, Tom Sizemore, you have John Voight floating around in there. You have William Finchner, who plays uh, yeah. Van Zant. You have the guy who plays Wayne Grove, whose name I can never remember. Um, you have Wes Studi. You have Danny Trejo. Um, that movie is just, it's like, you have, uh, you have Ashley Judd, and you have Natalie Portman. Wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive, that's right? Pretty, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty damn good. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty damn good. There's... Um, there's other ones out there that I wanted to throw in. There's the uh, there's Saving Private Ryan, but if we're trying to stick away from war movies, I think that is. I mean, okay. that's a great one. You know, you got Hanks, you got Damon, you got Sizemore, you got Diesel, you got Goldberg, you got uh, Barry Pepper. There's also the other Edward in there, isn't there? Uh, Edward. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, there's there's Barry Pepper, there's Matt Damon, there's Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all pretty. I mean, impressive. that's I mean, that's pretty that's pretty insane right there. The other one that's really great is the score. I think the score is really cool because you got De Niro, Brando, Norton, yeah. Angela Bassett. Oh yeah, uh, forgot you said that. And then the Italian job is like another one that's. Oh, are we are we taking? You said franchise movies we're taking out, right? Yeah. So So because obviously the Ocean's movies are yeah. a big one, um, but it does feel a little cheap. Yeah, we are trying to stay away. That was the other thing, guys. We're staying <clears> away from <throat> franchise movies here because uh, I like the Fast movies. Obviously, it's just it's too much of a cop out to throw every sequel you get more people kind of a thing. Right. So my other one is is the uh, is the Italian job, which is. Wahlberg, Theron, Donald Sutherland, Jason Statham, Seth Green, Edward Norton, um, which I love that cast. Yeah, the, the heavy hitting power compared to Heat with those names, though. It's yeah, like you're swapping out like John Voight for Seth Green. Yeah, it's, it's like a little tough. <laughs> yeah, so I think I think that <clears throat> Ronan is a fan. I mean, that was one of the first things that you and I said to each other: "Is like, wait, is that Skarsgård? Oh, sweet and Bean. It's yeah. a really sweet cast. Heat is insane, Saving Private Ryan. So yeah. I think I think it's up there with a lot of the greats. Um, I'm a big fan also of the Interstellar cast. Yeah, um, that's a good one. At, you know, all I think, the Nolan movies, he has pretty pretty great cast. Yeah, Inception too. I yeah. mean, Interstellar. So you got you see McConaughey. Mm-hmm. You've got Chastain. Uh, you got Affleck. Anne Hathaway, Casey Affleck, Jessica Chastain, Damon. Um, yeah, Matt Damon. You have uh, Michael Caine. You've got oh, what's his name. Um, the guy from American Beauty, whose name always escapes me. The guy who dies. Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name. Um, Damn it. I can't remember that kid's name. Yeah. Jonathan anyway. Rice Myers? No. No, nah, it's not. <laughs> uh, anyway, who do you guys think who are the best uh, ensemble cast? I think Ronan's a pretty sweet one. So we got Backdraft. Yep. Oceans is definitely a king, but, you know, that was a real... Tombstone, which is, is, is one of that's our favorites. That's a really good one, yeah. Untouchables. Oh, yeah. That's got a great... Um, <laughs> just Backdraft cracks me up. And then we got a couple recasts here. I'm just going to go through them real quick. 
Emily Blunt as De Niro's character. Classic. Emma Stone <laughs> as Renault. Oh. JGL as the handler. Sweet. Uh, He'd be great. Yeah, he would be very... That's a very good one. Natalie Portman as Bean. Oh. Colin Farrell as the hander, handler. And I know you'll love this one. Miss Gal Gadot as Ooh. Skarsgård. She's... I think that's... You can't make her ugly enough. You can't do it. <laughs> you cannot watch our show anymore. <laughs> You've offended us. Uh, all right, so let's move on to... Which of the three categories this one fits into? I think so. Yeah. Um, so, um... <laughs> what color is the boathouse? Head here for Colors the boathouse. What is it? That was just a little cage, cage versus cruise. cruise. Three, no, no, oh wait, hold on. We gotta get a finny one in there. Yeah. What's a finny one? Uh, uh, can you uh, can you stitch this up yourself? <laughs> I'm gonna pass out. <laughs> what color is the boathouse at the hip? I talk about an ambush. I ambush you with coffee. Okay. Okay. So, so what color is the actual boathouse at at Hereford? How the fuck should I know? <laughs> How the fuck should I know? How the fuck should I know? Uh, all right. <laughs> so the three categories, guys, we have Totally Ridiculous, which is Fall Off the Cliff. That's like Face Off. That's, uh, what are some other ones in there? Con Air. Con Air. I love Con Air. Uh, we've, got, we've got Totally Legitimate. So we've got like The Fugitive. Terminator 2. Yeah, all those, you know, really Matrix. based and usually... It's not their just reality. This is they're just it's like the it's the stakes usually feel real. They're well acted. They hold together. You never laugh unintentionally. They're they're usually regarded as classic films. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got our favorite category, which is the middle category, which is ridiculous, legitimate, or le- legitimately ridiculous, which is kind of that 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 pinnacle of of reality meets fun. And so there's movies in there like Predator. You know, uh, some of these Speed is in there. Point Break. Rock. The things that you, they kind of make you laugh every now and then you're not supposed to, but for the most part you're just like this is a really really good movie. Yeah, I would go with this one totally totally legitimate. I would too, and I think like you said, it needs to be 35 minutes shorter. Yep. Um, I don't think that would have changed anything about it, other than it would have felt even more legitimate. I yeah. think. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's really any arguing points for anything there. So uh, we have one thing left on the show that weekend that is called the pitch. <laughs> we got Jonathan up in the booth today instead of Mr. Donica, who missed the cue last week anyway. But uh, Jonathan, how you doing, tiger man? Tiger cue. Okay. Hang on, getting getting it. Hey, how's it going? Oh, there you go. Do you have the tiger growl? Oh, we didn't even ever show the scene. That is what it is. That is what it is. We've done a long show today, Jonathan. Where can the people find you, my brother? Ah, on the internet, <laughs> JonathanQMolton.com. <laughs> we like to talk to our engineers. Yes, we uh, do. So, guys, we have a special version of the pitch this week, and it's a little. We don't actually know what's exactly going to happen. So we have an incredible actress coming in. Her name is Rachel Brooks Smith. She's she's an actress, a gymnast, a model. She's an entrepreneur. She has her own clothing company called Disruptive Clothing. Uh, she was in the studio a, about a month ago uh, doing a spotlight on, I believe, or something for just a sit-down interview. And she, we decided to approach her because, hey, we love action movies. She's in action movies. Um about coming on the show, and she's very, very excited to do it. We're in talks with her publicist right now. It's either going to be next Wednesday or the Wednesday following, and we're going to let her pick the movie. So I suggested The Raid Redemption because she loves martial arts, and we've talked about that on the show. Yep. It's an awesome film, um, but we're not quite positive yet. So probably by the end of today or tomorrow, we'll put up some poll or something on our Twitter, yep. at AMA Podcast. That'll let you guys know what's going on. So yeah, follow us at AMA Podcast. You can follow myself at Ben Bateman Media. And you can follow me at Andrew Guy. Uh, let us know your guys' thoughts. Interact with us all the time. And thank you so much for showing up for 70 episodes or something like that. I think we're there at 70 it now. might have been 70. Yeah. Um, so we'll see you guys same time, same place next week. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. 
For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.